Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. In this episode, in America, we love our coffee and we love our beer. They're two great tastes that go great together. But what coffee? What bean? What roast? Whole? Crushed? Hot? Cold? Today and I sit down with our coffee-obsessed friend Tiffany Ashrafi to discuss our thoughts on putting the brew in our brews. But first, a message from our sponsors. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes, or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are formulated to make up to 5 gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Now through May 31st, get a quarter pound of H.A. Zamba Hops when you join or renew your American Homebrewers Association membership with promo code ZAMBA. That's Z-A-M-B-A. Zamba. Get your offer details at homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. All right, and hey, welcome back, everybody. Just remember, if you interact with any of our sponsors, tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files so that they know they're spending their money foolishly, wisely, something. (laughs) But as I said in the intro, it's all about America's two favorite beverages, coffee and beer. Coffee and beer, beer and coffee. The things that make life livable. Uh, And today we're going to actually sit down. We're talking with uh, my good friend, Tiffany. Tiffany, say hi. Tiffany says hi. Who you guys may remember, she was on the show before talking about uh, the mother's beer, shall we say. In this particular case, Tiffany, your two daughters are growing up and you're back to coffee full time, right? That is for sure. I never really stopped drinking coffee. It was just on a smaller scale. Um, But now I'm I'm full full force coffee, staying awake for these kids. (laughs) Tell me about your relationship with coffee. Um, Well, it's one of my two favorite liquids or beverages. One Number one is beer, obviously. And then two is coffee. Um, I used to be what is called a coffee snob, but now I just have time for my two pods of Nespresso in the morning. But I do enjoy coffee, cold brew, and then on ice, but mostly warm to soothe my throat. (laughs) And Denny, what about you? About my relationship with coffee? Yes. <laughs> uh, I have several cups every morning, starting like between four and five o'clock when I get up. I drink a uh, a 
double French roast, which is very, very smooth and mellow. And because it's so dark, doesn't have a lot of caffeine in it, which I like because then I can have several cups in the morning. And then, of course, for me, I've famously been on the record as I didn't like coffee forever and a day. I mean, I liked coffee flavor, but I didn't like coffee as a beverage until one day I finally figured out that my problem with it was I don't like hot beverages. I'm not a hot tea drinker. I'm not a hot coffee drinker or anything else. So I'm almost exclusively a cold brew or iced coffee guy. And, you know, I'm the guy who goes over to like local barista and I say, cold brew, please. And they're always like, would you like milk and sugar with that? And I'm like, no, that just gets in the way of the caffeine. That's my relationship. Denny's seen me go through multiple uh, cold brews in the day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I tend to get a little wiry. So real quick, just to lay the groundwork for everybody who's listening to this. Coffee is another one of those wonderful products of fermentation, and it's really just another plank in the argument that fermentation is really one of humanity's primary superpowers, the transformation of fermentation. But at the same time, because it is one of these most fundamental things of uh, human society, or at least modern society, the subject of coffee is insanely complicated and intricate even before you get into the people with funny waxed mustaches and talking about proper pour over temperatures. And even before you get to that point, coffee is already an incredibly fraught subject with lots of variations and lots of technique changes. In this particular case, we are strictly looking at the relationship of using coffee and beer. Any other comments about coffee? (laughs) What can you say? (laughs) Tiffany, when we're talking about coffee and beer, what do you look for? I usually look for smoothness, minimal green pepper or jalapeno flavor, just a a coffee that blends with the appropriate style. Now, usually it's porters and stouts, but honestly, I love coffee in an IPA. It just has to go together correctly with the style. You're right that I think stout and porter is the most natural fit, right? I think that's the one everybody goes for. Like, well, yes, look, this is my double barrel aged, you know, bourbon aged coffee, imperial stout with whatever. But when you're doing an IPA, how does that work? Because I always, I always think that like blending an IPA with another flavor is always a little fraught, right? Because of the aggressive nature of the hops versus everything else. So when you're thinking coffee IPA, do you have like a particular target in mind? Are you looking at like a particular roast or a particular bean or... Well, just from my experience, and I'm going to tell you a little love story. I first found out about blending cold brew coffee with an IPA, specifically just like a run-of-the-mill West Coast kind of bitter, like a Lagunitas maybe, at a place called Gravlax in Culver City. And we were looking, Benno and my husband and I were looking for an experimental beer and we ended up here and all they had was, you know, the usual stuff on tap that you'd find anywhere else. And they're like, well, we could just experiment a little bit with this cold brew we have on tap. And we're like, all right, let's do it. So they did a pint of IPA and then just a shot glass of a cold brew and it melded perfectly. The I, And I did try both of them separate. The coffee was more like a medium roast but still really smooth and creamy. And then the IPA obviously was, you know, higher IBUs. And I feel like the coffee really cut through a lot of the bitterness of the hops, but still kept a bitterness from the coffee, if that makes sense. Uh, it makes sense because to me, like cold brew always has a, a sort of an adult sweetness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's still got that bitter edge to it, but there's a, 
an unctuousness. There's a mouthfeel to it. There's, and there's that kind of coating property that I could totally see as like being, you know, mixing with the fruit characters of a coffee bean to, to sort of give you a sweet characteristic up against the, the bitterness of the hops. That's very interesting because I usually think of Lagunitas IPA as being very sort of dank forward. And so that's interesting that you can get that coffee to, pl- uh, to pair in with that. Yeah, well, and I feel like the malt bill of Lagunitas has gotten a little bit more on the pale ale side. It's It's got a little bit more maltiness than it used to. So I think that backs up the coffee as well. I don't know if coffee, cold brew coffee would go well with a, let's say, lighter IPA that is more dank but doesn't have that malt backbone. So like any of the, the really sort of super San Diego ones where it's like pale and pills and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Denny, what about you? I have never made nor had a coffee IPA. Um, I'm not sure that I want to, but I will reserve judgment until I actually have a chance to try one. But I suspect that it could have, for me, the same issues I have with the black IPA, which is I feel like the roast malts clash with the hops. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, until I try a good one, who the hell knows? Well, what about any other styles other than, say, you know, your stouts and your porters? Have you ever seen a successful blending of coffee into? Uh, yeah, uh, Ale Song uh, recently did a uh, a uh, quadruple that was aged on coffee beans, and it was very, very nice. It did not shout coffee at you, and like you know, all of their beers are very subtle and uh, and well balanced. And that is exactly what this one was. Uh, when I first saw that they had made it, uh, my first thought was, "Boy, I don't know about that," uh, but it actually worked very, very well. This episode brought to you by Ailsong, Eugene's Master Blenders and Brewers. Yeah, really. I know. Man. I, I can't. I can't help it. They're here. I drink a lot of their beers, and they're probably some of the best beers in the world. But you see, I can see it working in a quad as well because again, you're going up against that dark, even though it's not necessarily a roast. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about it because the primary flavors, when I think of coffee, the primary flavors I get are that roast, you know, that big kind of dark, slightly acrid uh, sort of flavor. You get bitterness uh, and actually something that you have to kind of be careful about because you get an awful lot of bitterness from coffee. Some of it's from the caffeine, but some of it's also from the, the, the darkness, you know, that kind of burning process. Right. And I think maybe that was why it worked so well in the quadruple because the quadruple, you know, kind of being a little bit on the sweet side that the coffee kind of like helped uh, balance that out. Uh, I did discover the first few times I started brewing with coffee, it took me several test batches to adjust the bitterness of the recipe to account for the bitterness that I got from the coffee. Once again, another place where the IBU is somewhat insufficient for our needs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We talked a little bit about fruitiness uh, because, of course, coffee does have a fruitiness. Like, particularly if you think, like, whenever I think of, say, coffee from Kenya, like, Kenya to me always, or a lot of Kenyan coffees carried that sort of dark red cherry note. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be really interesting. I would like to see that actually in a quad or like a Belgian beer. Uh, and along with that, a lot of times an earthy, leathery kind of thing, almost like a dried cherry. Uh, and then, the other thing to keep in mind is that we do have to, with that freeness, we're going to be drinking this cold, so it's going to get muted, whereas the bitterness and roast characters won't get as muted. Right. 
Any other flavors that you guys are looking for with coffee? Well, recently at our last meeting, we created a coffee blonde with two different roasts of coffee. And this is um, Yemeni coffee called Kanza, completely single origin. And sure enough, the owner, who's actually one of my friends, she said the light roast is just like a peanut butter cup and the dark roast is a lot of chocolate, like chocolate-covered raisins or chocolate-covered figs. So I tested it. I put an ounce and a half of each bean into two different um, two-liter bottles of 805, just like a really neutral Blondale. Everyone voted, nearly everyone voted for the light roast over the dark roast. The the flavors and the aroma came out so much more with the light roast. To talk about that then, uh, that was Firestone Walker's 805, which has become mm-hmm. Firestone Walker's bestseller. And yeah, you're right. It's a sort of neutral blondish ale. Yeah. Sort of does its job and gets out of the way. You said a light roast and a dark roast. Mm-hmm. And how did it, because you already had the existing beer, how did you infuse the, the coffee into that? Um, I just poured in um, the beans on their own and um, cold conditioned for 20 hours in my, my walk-in. And, the, and that was just whole beans, not cracked or? Oh, yep, whole beans. And if I remember correctly, you put those into like two liters, right? Correct. And then carbonator caps and all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah. And you said 20 hours, so almost a day. Mm-hmm. And after a day, was that sufficient time to get a, a full infusion of the coffee flavor? I believe so. Yeah. I I tasted it after the fact. Um, I put it back in my fridge after the meeting and it was like full power. So I, I think 20 to 24 hours is perfect timing. Your friend had said that the light roast was like peanut butter cups. Mm-hmm. Did that flavor come through? Absolutely. More so on the nose than flavor, um, which everyone really enjoyed. But yeah, it was, it was really good. And then uh, when you say the, uh, the, the other one was raisin nuts, right? The dark roast was raisin nuts. Mm-hmm. But the, the flavor and aroma wasn't nearly as pungent. And, and that's really curious because, I mean, we always, I mean, people usually talk about like, oh, you know, dark roasts are very intense, right? You know, espresso and Cuban coffee and, you know, the, the blacker than, uh, blacker than black coffee is like, you know, the stuff that will punch you in the face. But in this particular case, you got the light roast mm-hmm. to, to come through. So this is a very simple experiment that people can do, but I think it leads us into what we need to really talk about, which is how we get coffee into beer. Because there are lots of different ways to do it, advantages and disadvantages. You can do it either on the hot side or you can do it on the cold side. This infusion that you did was a cold side infusion. Mm-hmm. But let's start on the hot side. So the hot side is mashing. Take ground coffee and throw it into your mash. Denny, I know you have words about that. Well, it... it- you know, it seems to me about the worst way you could possibly do it. I mean, number one, how do you know how much to use, right? Number two, I don't know about other people, but I do not like the flavor of boiled coffee. Well, and, it, and you're right. It does change, but hopefully also because you're in the mash, you're not pulling the grounds across, right? So you got brewed coffee and it gets boiled, but... I don't think you'll extract as much bitterness. I don't think that that's the case. I mean, you know, basically by putting it into hot water, you're making coffee, you know, and then when you pull the, I mean, try taking a cup of, of, I mean, make some, make some coffee and then take a cup of that and boil it and see how it tastes. But to, to start with, I mean, this is like one of the, the, the easiest ways to do it, right? You know, in terms of just level of effort. Uh, but people are literally just mixing coffee into the grounds. I know it's a very popular technique with people who are doing like 
big imperial stouts and doing their, uh, particularly folks who are doing like pastry stouts, uh, to, you know, go ahead and throw the, the ground coffee in. Now, Tiffany, I know that you were talking, you were thinking about doing ground coffee with one of your recipes, right? Correct. Yeah. I'm not sold on it yet either. I'm, I was excited to see what Denny had to say about why and why not. Yeah, I mean, to me, that I just I don't see the upside of doing that. What what is what could be the advantage of doing it that way? You may or may not get the right amount, and you know you may or may not like the flavor after it's in the boil for an hour. To me, I mean, and especially the amount thing. That's why I finally came around to adding it at packaging because I could taste until I got the right amount. The only upside I see from it is. When you add coffee or um, or beans afterwards, after fermentation, doesn't that get rid of a lot of the head retention because of the oils? Nope, not not at all. I, I have not found that at all. And the oils will still be there even if you put it in the mash. You know, that's you're not going to be getting rid of the oils. Uh, but fortunately, that doesn't matter because they don't affect anything, in, in my experience at least. Mm. All right, and then moving on. Other hot side method is to treat the the beans just like you would dry hops and add them into either the boil or the whirlpool. I'd prefer doing the uh, the whirlpool uh, just because, you know, then to Denny's point, avoiding some of the boiled flavors. And literally just take them, add them into a hop sack, toss the hop sack into the, into the kettle or suspend it in the kettle and mm-hmm. let the whirlpool run and extract your coffee flavor that way now. To Danny's point about the the boil, it does still have the same problem of how much do you add, and you know learning that. And of course, if you're in a professional brewing, you're you're brewing this thing again and again. That's pretty easy to dial in. You may still have problems with different lots of coffee beans, but still. But the the whirlpool, at least in theory, would preserve some of the aromatics. It probably wouldn't have as much of a boiling impact. The other advantage would be that you could also ensure that you have sort of an even dosing of coffee flavor throughout the beer. Mm-hmm. Now, that leads us to the way that I think Denny and I both usually do this, which is where we do things on the cold side. Now, to me, the nice thing about the cold side is you preserve the aromatics. Right? You get you keep all that, that wonderful coffee aroma. You're not necessarily driving it off via fermentation. You're not driving it off via other mechanisms. There are a couple ways I can think of doing it on the cold side, one of which is, again, taking that model of hops and dry beaning. Yep. Now, most of the time, I've, you know, I do this with whole beans. Don't even bother cracking them. I do know some people out there crack them as well. I don't think you actually really buy any advantages to doing that. Yeah, I, I don't know for certain. Uh, I, I, I do crack them, but I crack real coarsely. You know, it's, it's not like I'm grinding it for coffee. Uh, and, and basically what I do is I use dry beaning for aroma and then I add the, the brewed coffee for flavor. Mm-hmm. Tiff, have you played around with doing dry beaning? Yes, absolutely. And I completely agree with that statement. Do either of you have any concerns about adding something like coffee beans, which aren't necessarily antimicrobial like hops are, straight into a finished beer? Nope, none whatsoever. Because <laughs> that's just one of those things I know people are going to ask about. It. So dry beaning, how long do you guys put, well, how much beans and how long? For me, it's usually like uh, a few ounces coarsely cracked for three to five days. Tiff? I think I've done three days, just whole bean. And how much? How much? I want to say like 
half a pound for five gallons is what we do. Okay, so eight ounces to five gallons, and that's not quite two ounces per gallon. So all right, uh, we got that, and then just a couple of days. And then unlike hops, where we've talked about in the past that Danny and I had a bad habit of leaving our IPAs on the hops for ever and a day, right? Because we just chuck them in the keg. Uh, don't leave the beans in contact with the beer for forever and a day, right? <laughs> no, definitely not. Kind of the same theory as cocoa nibs. Uh, get them in there, get the stuff out real fast and get them out of there. Yeah, this is not one of those cases where you want to be lazy because otherwise uh, you will end up with a beer that becomes super coffee. Yeah, it'll be more coffee than beer. Now, Denny, you had alluded to this. Another very popular technique is to add brewed coffee to the mix. Now, for me, whenever I do brewed coffee, and this is usually what I actually do most of the time, is I make cold brew. I told you guys I love cold brew. I make cold brew, and I make a concentrated cold brew, and I use that cold brew concentrate to add flavor. And that way I can dial in the amount of flavor that I get. And I can also taste the coffee ahead of time. And I just add that straight into the keg. And then uh, because I'm fairly sure I'm getting full mixture in there. The other thing I like about doing the cold brew is I like the fact that I know the flavors that are going to be there. And the flavors are going to match up with what's going to happen because of the serving temperature. I know other people out there will do um, like, hey, I'll make myself eight ounces of espresso, which used to be a good college night for me when I had to study. But in this particular case now, we're looking at you know, putting it into a beer. Uh, I'm not as much of a fan of doing espresso as I am doing cold brew. And again, gives me the way of actually being able to dial in. Then you said you do the dry beans for aroma. Yeah, and you do get a little flavor out of them, but mainly the aroma. And then what form of brewed coffee do you use? I just make a pot of coffee in, in my good old, uh, you know, drip coffee maker, uh, like I always do. And then I pour myself, uh, four little samples of the beer, usually about two ounces each, and add a different measured amount of coffee to each one of those samples and taste them all, decide which one I like best and scale that up to batch size. Uh, which, which goes, you know, back to what I was saying about, uh, making sure you get the right amount uh, you, you know what a control freak i am you know about mm -hmm. doing that kind of stuff and so this way i feel like i can get exactly the right amount without having to guess about anything and do you use a particular form of coffee when you're doing your drip or do you or do you try and make a strong drip or uh, you know, I make it, I make really strong coffee anyway. And, uh, this double French roast that I use is very smooth and mellow. Uh, so I just brew that to my normal strength and add it in. And Tiffany? I use my little two cup French press and I do half and half. I do a cup of beans and I do, uh, maybe a cup, cup and a half of filtered water and let it sit overnight. And filter it out. Yeah, so you're kind of making a cold brew concentrate as well. Yes. By the way, that's actually a very good point, and thank you for bringing it up. When you're making the coffee for this, don't use regular, just straight water. Filtered water for this is always better, at least in my mind. Or, or my pristine well water. Danny, not everybody in this world has a pristine well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's really too bad, too. Uh, hey, look, I agree. I'm always jealous of your, your groundwater temperatures in the summer. Tiff, you said you're doing half and half, and that yields, what, about eight ounces of cold brew concentrate? Or Yeah, and sometimes I, I double it up. I you know make cold brew over two nights because I only have one French press, mm -hmm. depending on what the style of beer is that I'm putting into. 
remember that our sponsor, Brewing America, actually makes a infusion kit for mason jars that are perfect for cold brew. And we've used yeah. that for that. Yeah, they would be. Now, Denny, you had said, okay, I do four little samples of the beer and then measure out different amounts to to each beer and then right. decide, you know, okay, great. This works out to X number of ounces per gallon. Do you know, like typically you say you make a pot, how much of that coffee are you usually having to add roughly? Not all of it. And to tell you the truth, Drew, it's been so long since I did it, I would have to go pull out one of my fabled notebooks and take a look at it. Uh, I have to go back and dig through the arcana. That's right. <laughs> and Tiffany, you said you're doing 8 to 16 ounces, so half to a full pint of your yeah. cold brew. Correct. And that's that's about what I do when I do it. Yeah, and I would I, I would guess that that's about where I ended up also. Denny, is there a reason that you like doing just your regular drip coffee as opposed to cold brew? or I I don't ever really make cold brew and I've got that around and I like the way it comes out. So that's what I use. Gosh, darn it. It works for me. And that's what I'm doing. All right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, I really love the way that coffee comes out when I brew it. Uh, and so I kind of decided, okay, I've got it. I like that coffee. Let's just do that. The pragmatic approach. Tiffany, which do you have a particular go-to coffee that you use all the time when you're doing yours or is it what you got on the shelf? Um, I usually like to get the breakfast blend from Whole Foods, the light roast. I like a little bit of extra caffeine in my beer when I make it. Um, but I've also used flavored coffee like churro flavored or chocolate. If I may segue into another venue, I often put my coffee beans in a Randall and run my beer through it. Right. And so that's actually... Absolutely perfect. Because one of the things that I found in the past is when I've tried flavored coffees, so you'd said, you know, like churro flavored coffee or hazelnut infused or French vanilla infused. I've -hmm. always found it to be disappointing when I'm doing it like in the keg or as a brewed edition. But to your point, when you do it in a Randall, and so for everybody who's not been around forever today, Randall's essentially just a filter housing that you can pour beer through and let it infuse with whatever invented by a dogfish head to try and infuse extra hops. Uh, our club, the Maltos Falcons, uh, Tiffany and I, we have several Randalls and at our festivals, there's almost always at least one that's being poured through whole coffee beans. Kevin Baranowski's uh, sweet stout that he's always doing through some sort of coffee, for instance. While I don't like the flavored coffees from a brood standpoint, I actually think the flavored uh, coffee beans work really well when they're in that Randall sort of setup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just because it's such, you know, high contact and I mean, it only lasts for the one day, right? Because you can't keep the beans for later on. You could maybe do a second running, but the flavor profile wouldn't be nearly as complex. They're really simple to put together. I'll include instructions in the show notes about how to do a Randall. And the nice thing about it is you don't really have to think too hard about it. You just take a bag of beans, chuck it in the Randall, and let it go. Yeah, Yeah. really, man. And I find that way you can actually get a lot of really interesting flavors. And if you're really curious about it, what you can do is brew up multiple batches of the same beer, pour one straight, and pour the other one through multiple Randalls. And we've done that before too, where it's been, okay, here we go. What's, uh, you know, what, what flavor of this wheat beer do I want, for instance? Um, by the way, I also think wheat beer works really well with uh, coffee. There was one year, I think it was the Seattle homebrew con. And we rolled up to Seattle. We drove a trailer with a bar all the way up to Seattle. And 
we got there and we bought a bunch of frozen fruit for the Randalls. And at the last minute, somebody chucked a bag of coffee beans in. And the only beer that we had to pour through it was Kent Fletcher's Elkwood Wheat. And we put the wheat beer on there and went, okay, I guess this will work. And you know what? It turned out to be my favorite beer of the evening that we had on the bar. Wheat beer with coffee infused through it. It was fantastic. Wow. And, you know, and I don't think we used anything more special than yield whole bean Safeway coffee. Tiffany, you had mentioned earlier about jalapenos. Right. I wrote a blog post ages and ages and ages ago for the website all about jalapenos and coffee. And the chemical compound is something called methyloxypyrazine. Say that one three times fast and see how well you come out the other side. (laughs) Say that once. And methyloxypyrazine, or these compounds, uh, these pyrazine compounds, are these sort of heat combustible products that are found in Sauvignon Blanc grapes and peppers and, turns out, coffee. And so what uh, what I'm really curious about is that when I've done the test in the past, the lighter roast coffees are the ones that tend to throw more green pepper, more jalapeno, uh, because they haven't been subjected to as high of heat, so more of those pyrazines stay in the beans themselves. So I, I find it really interesting, like when you did the the light roasted bean experiment, that it came out where that one didn't have any jalapeno character to it. Have you ever noticed any sort of consistency about this or like any sort of pattern? It did have a little bit of pepper, but it wasn't super strong. Um, the peanut butter and the, and the chocolate really shine through. People definitely did notice it. And then we, you know, talked about that compound afterwards, but it wasn't ob- obnoxious for sure. Which is another reason why I suggest that when you're doing coffee like this, if you're going to do a cold side addition with it, make sure you try cold brewing the coffee first so that you can see if it carries across any of that green pepper flavor. Because a lot of people find the green pepper flavor objectionable. Because uh, I remember the reason why I started digging into it was I had a, I want to say it was a white stout. And remember, a white stout, other than being a beer style that makes Denny roll his eyes, is <laughs> effectively like a strong blonde ale that people have added chocolate and coffee compounds to in order to mimic sort of the roasty flavors of a stout. And I had, I believe it was a white stout, and it was really interesting, really tasty beer, except for having a very obnoxious green pepper character to it. And I think what a lot of people do inherently, without if they don't know the chemistry behind it, is they will reach for one of these lighter roast coffees, thinking it will be more subtle and less less in your face. And instead, it throws this compound in there. So if you're going to do a light roast coffee, make sure you brew it cold first. If you're going to do a cold method, brew it cold first. Then add it into the, or then taste it and see if you get green pepper. If you do, then you could probably do what Denny does and, you know, make a hot brew. Just make a strong hot brew out of it. Taste that, see if you get the green pepper character. And if not, then add that. Um, because like I said, green peppers are fantastic. I love them in my fajitas. I do not like them in my beer. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. We talked about the infusion experiment, and 
again, I would encourage people to go and do that because it is a good way to learn the characteristics of the particular ingredient that you're adding. And by the way, that doesn't just apply to coffee. You can do that with just about anything out there. And it's very much in line with what Denny does with his scale-up trials. Give these flavors a shot first before you commit to a full five gallons or whatever it is that you're going to do. Maybe you're crazy. You're going to do 10 gallons. Maybe you're even really crazy and you're going to do 20. Make sure you actually give it a taste before you commit to the the whole schmageggy. Any other thoughts about coffee and beer that we need to talk about? Um, I have one question about on the cold side of adding. Have you ever made a coffee tincture before and then adding it? And then how is that different? Yeah. Okay. So, so just real quick on the technical terms, a tincture just basically being using alcohol to dissolve flavor compounds into the, you know, into the vodka, for instance, like what I'm using. The real trick about it is alcohol will extract different compounds than water. To me, I find that when I do an alcoholic tincture of of coffee, as opposed to, I mean, coffee is really a tisane anyway, uh, instead of doing a water steep, then when I do the alcohol, I get more of those roast characters. I get more caffeine, actually, and I also get more bitterness. I find that when I do the, you know, brewed coffee, like your usual sort of tisane thing, I get more of what I expect out of coffee. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend not doing the alcohol tincture? This is one of those places where I, I don't like it. Yeah. And I the thing I wonder about it is, and I, I wouldn't even do like what I do with cinnamon, where cinnamon, I'll make both a tisane and I'll make a tincture because they express two different characters of the of the cinnamon. The tisane comes across with uh, all the sort of earthiness and warmth. And the tincture comes across with all the, that high cinnamon, the, the high cinnamon oil type characteristics and very bright heat. And blended together, you can kind of have a full picture of, of cinnamon. But with coffee, I don't know if it's just because societally we have such an expectation of what coffee should smell and taste like. And we always do it with hot water or cold water that the alcohol seems to be off-putting because it's expressing something that's not what we normally get. And so in that particular case, I don't really like doing alcohol in that, uh, with the coffee. Mm-hmm. But, that, but that's me. And you know, I, would, I would recommend people give it a try anyway. It's not that hard. Uh, you go. The easy way to do it is just go fill half and half a mason jar with coffee beans and vodka and go walk away for a week. Give it a shake every day and then give it a try. And after all, and that's basically Kahlua if you, well, if you did rum instead of vodka. But. So, Tiff, were you thinking about using a alcoholic uh, tincture? Well, I have one that's been in my freezer for like three years, so I kind of wanted to pull it out, <laughs> finally. <laughs> Reclaim the space. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband's been bugging me to clean stuff out, so spring cleaning beer, I guess. And I was going to add it to a brown ale that we're going to brew at our um, Lady Falcon brew day in the next couple of weeks. So, See, I think that's a perfect example then of where you can play around as a post edition, right? Mm-hmm. You can, you, or even do what you did with eight hundred five. You know, t- take a take another bottle of eight hundred five and add a small bit of the the tincture to it, and tell us what you taste. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that too. Good idea. Yeah, I would. I would just think, given my experience. It's, it's not my preferred flavor, but then again, that doesn't mean much because uh, taste is subjective. Yep. Indeed. Any any other thoughts about coffee and beer, varieties that people should be on the lookout for, things that people should not do? I mean, 
I guess all I can say is that there are so many ways to use coffee and so many different expressions of the flavors that you'll get from it, depending on how you use it. Probably the best thing to do would be just to uh, try some things and see what you like and maybe maybe start at small batches. It goes back to my old thing about brewing test batches to try and hone in a recipe. So that's that's what I would recommend. Either that or just say, what the hell, I'm going for it, and I'll drink whatever comes out. <laughs> Known a few brewers like that. Oh, yeah, more than a few. Tiffany's not one of those. So, Tiffany, in your carefully considered opinion. I think I, I'm interested in trying just buying cold brew from different um, stores. There's different, um, like like Blue Bottle or Starbucks or any of those you know, non-sweetened um, cold brews and experimenting to see what the different flavor profiles are with just, you know, another Blondale or IPA or even a Saison would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Saison, you'd have to, to me, you'd have to really be careful about playing up. I think you'd want to play up more of the spicy and, and earthy flavors of coffee. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a good point, by the way. Uh, if you guys are going to buy pre-made uh, cold brew and there's nothing wrong with pre-made cold brew. I sometimes cheat and go and buy myself a bottle of chameleon and throw that in the fridge and go and use that. It's commonly available. But if you're, you are going to use a commercially available cold brew, make sure it's not sweetened and make sure it also doesn't have any milk products in it. Gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, Hey, having said that, you know, doing coffee and lactose into a beer would not be a bad idea. That goes along with that idea of the sweet stout that uh, Kevin does. Tiffany, you said that you're getting ready to brew a recipe, and you're going to mm-hmm. go and add coffee to it. You want to give us the the rundown of what you're what you're thinking about brewing? Sure. So I found something on uh, the Brew Your Own website, and I want to do a spinoff of it. It's called Southern Brown Ale, a man's beer, mm. and um, since it's our Lady Falcon Brew Day, I would like to change the name and call it the Western Brown Ale, a woman's beer, and switch around the yeast, which is currently uh, 1028 to a, a 1056, and then the hops add um, or switch out the fuggles and put in some maybe citra or something fun from the American side of hops. Thoughts on the coffee and how that's going then? Well, now that we've chatted about the advantages of not adding into the mash, we'll probably just leave that up to um, all the ladies who are bringing home five gallons of beer, and they can do it at their leisure. I, I Like I said, I would probably end up doing um, the cold brew and maybe even adding the tincture at the end. We'll see. you have a particular target for coffee in mind that you're going to do with it? Or are you just going to wait and see what the beer tastes like first? Yeah, we'll wait and see what the beer tastes like first. I mean, the recipe has a OG of 10.33 and final at 10.11. So it's on the lighter side. 22 IBU and so it comes out to 2.8. Actually, no, we are going to up that. It's <laughs> 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 Just kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll go for maybe a medium roast like I usually do because it's kind of in the middle. Yeah, measure according to how the, the beer comes out. If it's more on the sweet side or more bitter. Well, and since you're going to have, what, eight different portions going out? Yes, eight different portions. 
it would be and so for people who don't know the way we do our shop brews is we have one brew system at the shop that's like it can make 50 gallons like a bunch of blickman kettles and then the people who are working that brew day can each take home five gallons and so usually we yield about 40 gallons out of that so eight portions and so what would be kind of nifty to see is if we had one version that was just plain and then let everybody else, you know, do something different with the coffee and see what sort of differences there are. Now, of course, the challenge of that is because everybody's fermenting differently uh, and we have different sort of downstream practices. The beers tend to be a bit wibbly anyway. That's always a fascinating lesson to learn as a homebrewer. That's going to be one thing, but it would be really interesting to see how different coffee choices or different addition methods change that beer. Yeah, and we have a couple of events coming up, so I'm hoping that the ladies prevent out um, a little bit on the colder side so that can at least be the same and then um, bring it to either Lake Arrowhead Brew Fest that we'll be serving at or our annual Oktoberfest. Plenty of times to go check in and have some coffee beer. Get a little upper and downer action going at the same time. You know, a little, a little relaxed feeling of buzz. But we do absolutely encourage people to go and play with coffee and beer. It's a very easy combination to make. And you don't, as you may have heard in this particular chat, have to restrict yourself just to going, why, yes, I made a stout, therefore I'm adding coffee. You can try this in lots of different things. Tiffany did it with 805. I did it in the past with a wheat beer that turned out to be one of my favorite things I've ever drunk. So go and give it a shot. Coffee is a relatively easy commodity for us to get our hands on. And you'll be taking two great tastes, two very popular tastes, and putting them together. All right. Last thoughts? Do what you want. (laughs) (laughs) I do what I want. There we go. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at coffee and beer, two of the world's most popular beverages. Tea is a story for another day. We heartily encourage you to combine your brews and enjoy the synergy of flavor. And please give a try to something other than a stout or a porter. Let us know what you've tried or will try so that we know how you get your coffee on. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the HA, Amazon, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Canines for Warriors, helping those who need a little help. Until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.